I'm like, anyway, but hey, we are in the book of James, chapter 1 today. So open your Bibles, turn on a Bible, and um, just FYI, like I said, we're going, I'm going to be on vacation. Uh, I won't be here next Sunday. Dusty will be preaching. He'll continue in uh, the book of James. He's going to continue right after this into uh, what James has next. And um, when I get back, I just want to encourage you um, on, on uh, Labor Day weekend, I'm going to bring a message from the book of Philippians. And uh, that's my 20th anniversary, and I have a special message. It's going to be really a message from me to you. And uh, I, I hope you'll, you'll be here. I know it's Labor Day weekend, and, and um, how many of you know it's not a good day to become a pastor on Labor Day weekend? Because everybody's gone on Labor Day weekend. So I want to encourage you that I hope you're here online. Um, but I, I, I just feel God's given me a special message um, from me to you. And I, I, I just pray that you could be here to hear that. But today we are in James chapter 1. We are working through the book of James. And over the past couple weeks, we have really been looking at one topic. James has been drilling down on one topic at, throughout the beginning of the, this first chapter. And that topic is this. You're going to suffer. Your trials are coming into your life. Whether you like it or not, whether you think so or not, we all are going to have trials. And the whole point that James is trying to make about this is, yeah, you're going to have trials, but the big thing is this. Can you endure? Can you persevere? Can you stay in there and trust God in the trial? Well, here's the thing. Um, James isn't done yet. All right. He really keeps driving this idea of the fact that we are going to be in trials and we need to trust God in them. But here in verses 9 through 12, the way he teaches this, the way he talks about this is a little bit different. So let me read, starting with verse 9. He says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fails and its beauty perishes. So also with the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you, God, that you are good and gracious to us. And Lord, we pray your blessing on your word. Open the eyes of our hearts. Lord, help us to hear, not just with ears, but with our heart to change us, to transform us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what James is doing here now in these verses, he is trying to encourage these uh, Christians by using a paradox. And a paradox is simply this. A paradox is a statement that is true even though it goes contrary to common sense. It, it, it's a statement that is true that goes contrary to popular opinion or to common thought. And so I've actually um, entitled this message, The Blessed Paradox. Because that's where James is going here. He is trying to show a paradox 
in relationship to our trials. And here's the thing about the Bible. Uh, the Bible is very, um, it's one big paradox compared to culture. All right? Because there's a lot of the things that the Bible says uh, that the, goes completely contrary and opposite of what the world says. You know, the Bible says there are things that are wrong, but the world says that's right. The Bible says a lot that says that's right. The Bible and the, the world says that's wrong. The Bible says, hey, these things are good, but the world says, no, those are bad. And the Bible says this is bad, but the world says mm, that's good. You see, it's very paradoxical between what the Bible says and what the world says. And so the Bible says things that, that our common sense or what we hear from the culture just doesn't seem right. For example, love your enemy. That's a paradox because that makes no sense. Well, here James is doing the same thing. He's teaching a paradox in relationship to our trials and our suffering. And so here's the first thing where he begins is this. Blessed are believers who are poor when they remember they are rich. Blessed are believers who are poor when they remember they are rich. So again, he begins there in verse 9. He says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Now, some of you may have a version that says, let the, the brother in humble circumstances boast in his high position. Now, the idea of a lowly brother here, it, it could mean um, positional status. It could be uh, popularity. You know, how do you stand in the community? That's not really what, it, it could mean that, but more than likely, it's not. Because in the context of what we're reading, he's probably talking to people who are financially low, who they're positionally, financially, um, they're poor. Because he goes right off of this talking about rich people. So if he's talking to rich people, then the common the conclusion has got to be he's talking to poor people. And also, in the context of James 1, we know from the very first verse that he's talking to Jewish Christians that because of their persecution, have been scattered. They've lost their homes. They are no longer part of their communities. They've probably lost their jobs. So if you've been scattered and you've lost everything, um, are you just talking about, wow, I'm just not popular in the, the community anymore? Or are you talking about, I'm poor? they would have been in dire straits financially. And so here he's talking to these people, both rich and poor, believers who are rich and poor. And as I read this this week, I found it interesting that he's been talking about trials. He's just been like, hey, you're facing trials and you're going you're to suffer, but can you persevere? And he's just been talking about that. And then all of a sudden he just goes, Rrr! he like takes a right turn and he says, oh, by the way, if you're poor, you're rich. And I'm like, what a weird place to go. How many of you know money has a way and has the power to change the mindset and an attitude of a person? And here's the thing about money. It doesn't matter what um, period of time you've lived in. 
It doesn't matter what country you live in. It doesn't matter um, where you live, who you live around. It doesn't matter anything. Money has the power to affect your mindset. Okay? So here, I believe what James is doing is he's trying, he's teaching a paradox in relationship to trials about money for this purpose. If I'm rich and I have plenty of money, where's my confidence at? In my money. I have a lot of money. I have no stress. I have no worries. I don't have to trust anyone or anything because I have enough money. And so my mindset, the power of money changes my money where my confidence and my arrogance is in my money. Well, flip the coin. Look at a poor person. A poor person looks at money and goes, well, if I had enough, I'd be okay. If I had more money, life would be better. If I had more money, man, I would have no problems. Where's their trust? In their money. You see, I believe what James is doing here is he's trying to teach these people, your money cannot save you. Whether you are rich or poor, it cannot save you. And so He's encouraging these believers to have this understanding. And so he begins with the poor believers. And he's like, listen, if you're poor, understand you're rich. That's the first paradox. And that's what makes no sense. Because if I'm poor, hey, hey show of hands, if you're really poor, how many of you think you're really rich? No. If you're really poor, what are you thinking? I'm really poor. Okay, because that's what the world tells us. The world says, hey, if you don't have money, you are. You're the low income scale. You're, 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 you're in the poor realm, you know, the, the, the realm. You're, you're, you're in this box. You're, you're poor. But Jesus says, if you know me, you're rich. You see, this is the paradox. This is what James is trying to teach. He's telling these poor people, listen, you've been dispersed. You've been scattered. You've lost everything. And even though in the financial world, even though according to the world you're poor, I'm telling you, if you have Christ, because you're a believer, you are rich. You know, there's... A lot of verses in the Bible that show us this. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8 says this. Paul writes and he says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles, here it is, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul's like, listen, if you know Christ, you can't begin to fathom the riches of him. They're unsearchable. Because we think of riches monetarily. We think riches are, how big of a house have I built? How many cars do I drive? How much do I make on my job? How many toys do I have? 
That's how we as people, we equate riches to. But Paul's like, no, 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 no. Christ has unsearchable riches. And Paul also writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Again, that makes no sense. How was Jesus rich? Because when he left his eternal kingdom... He, he was the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He had everything. And what's he do? He strips off everything and he becomes human and steps into this world. He gives up his riches to become poor, meaning spiritually poor. He's like, I'm a human now. So that through him, even though we're poor here, through him we become what? Rich. And can I tell you, this is, not a, this is not the prosperity gospel message, okay? Even though the prosperity gospel loves to take that verse and go, see, Jesus, he became poor so you could become rich. No, that has nothing to do about you becoming a millionaire. That has everything to do with you inheriting the riches of Christ in him spiritually, okay? And so Paul, again, he's like, Christ becomes poor so you and I can become rich. And then Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. I told Paula, this verse is truly a verse of paradox. Paul writes, he says, We are treated as imposters, yet are true. Unknown, yet well known. Dying, behold we live. Punished, yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, yet possessing everything. Tell me if that's not a paradox verse. Paul's like, oh, by the way, I have nothing, but I have everything. I'm dying, but I'm living. You see, he's, he's contrasting the world and eternity. The culture and Christ. The culture, yeah, you may, have, you, you may be poor in the culture, but with Christ, you are rich. In the culture, in the world, we're going to die. But in Christ, we always live. You see, Paul is trying to tell us that in Christ, when you know Christ as your Savior, your bank account may not have a lot in it, but your spiritual account, bank account, is to the full, to the max. And that's what James is saying here. He's encouraging these poor believers who have been scattered, probably living in tents, living in the desert, living wherever, refugees basically, and he's trying to encourage them, listen, I know you're poor. I know you've lost everything. I know the world is telling you you have nothing, but I'm telling you, in Christ, you have everything. You are rich. He's like, your earthly bank account. You see, and that's what he's, James is trying to tell us and teach us. It's not about our earthly account. It's about our heavenly account. In fact, do me a favor. Just flip a page in your Bible to 1 Peter. Just flip one or two pages and you're going to come to 1 Peter. And Peter writes 
in chapter 1, starting in verse 3. He says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You see, that's what it's all about. That's why we can be encouraged that if you are not wealthy right now, physically wealthy, financially wealthy, you don't make a lot of money, and man, you're just going from paycheck to paycheck, you're trying to be faithful, you're trying to do good with your money, but man, you just, you just realize, you know what, I'm not making a lot of money in my lifetime. And the enemy, and this is where the world is so good, wants to tell you, you have nothing. But if you can keep your mind focused properly and understand that because of Christ, I may be in a low position financially here on earth, but I am rich. And that's going to pay off one day. And so, the first thing James is saying here, he says, blessed are believers who are poor when they remember they are rich. Here's the second thing. Blessed are believers who are rich when they remember they are poor. Again, here's the second blessed paradox. So again, James writes, he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. He's first saying to the poor people, hey, you're poor, understand you're rich. Now he's saying to the rich people, hey, understand, you may be rich, but without Christ... You are poor. And again, he's, he's trying to get these people, he's, he's, he's encouraged the poor people, but like I said, money has a way of, of, of just taking our mindset and making it weird. So he tried to encourage the poor people to go, hey, don't put your confidence in money because it's not, that's not where your confidence needs to be in. It's got to be in God. When you're going through these, these, the suffering, and, and how many of you know if you're poor back then, they would have been suffering badly. And he's trying to explain to him, hey, don't put your confidence there. It's got to be in God. It's got to be the same with rich people. That their mindset can't be like, hey, you know what? I don't need any help from God. I'm fine. Who? I don't need anything. And James is now telling the rich people, you may be rich, but you need to understand your humble position. Now, here's the thing we need to understand. Even though James is saying to rich people, Listen, you may, be, you may have money, but it's not about the money. How many of you know the Bible is not against being rich? Okay. If you are a believer in Christ and you are well off financially, praise God for that. The Bible shows us that there are a lot of wealthy people. Abraham was wealthy. Job was wealthy. David was wealthy. Solomon, probably the most wealthiest person in the Bible. And you never see God condemn them for their money. Here's the thing. The Bible doesn't condemn us to have money. It condemns us that money has us. Okay? With money, it's about the perspective of how I view my money. Okay? And so that's why with the rich people, he's trying to get them to view their money differently. Okay? He's trying to get them to humble themselves and go, wow, I got to think differently about my money. 
And I think there's two perspectives that we can gain from here about money. And it's this. Number one, as a rich person, he's trying to encourage them and let them know, listen, your money cannot save you out of all your trials. Financial trials, probably. But how many of you know money cannot stop an incurable cancer diagnosis? Doesn't matter how much you have. Money cannot cause someone you love who is not serving Christ to serve Christ. Money cannot stop so many crises that I come into my life. It can't even put a dent into it. It has no effect on it. There, are, there, there will be trials in my life. If I, all of a sudden, if my wife suddenly dies, money's not bringing her back. It doesn't matter if I am a billionaire. It's not, it's not happening. So James is trying to say, as a rich person, do not put your confidence in that. Your confidence, because here's the reality. Even for a rich person, there are things going to come into my life that my money can't solve. So guess where my confidence has got to be? It's got to be in Christ. And so when he says, hey, even though you're rich, know your humiliation. And so the, the idea is that as a rich person, I have got to be able to humble myself and go, you know what? My money means squat right now. My money can't change my predicament. My money can't, it's not going to save my loved one. It's not, it's not going to cure this cancer. So you know what? Even though I am wealthy and, and everything that I can acquire with my money, it means nothing. And I have got to humble myself and I come before the Lord and go, God, I need you. I can't save myself. I'm not going to be able to buy my way out of this. So God, even though I may be wealthy in the world's eyes, God, I have nothing right now. And I need you to step into this thing. And that's where the confidence goes from my finances back onto the Lord. And that's what James is saying here. Is he's like, man, understand your true humiliation. Understand your true humble place. That there are times in your suffering, money's not changing it. Only God can. And you've got to put yourself right before him. On your face, on your knees, humble before him. But here's another perspective that I think uh, James can show us in regards to our money and, and humiliation. And it's simply this. And I've, I just kind of briefly said it. Without Christ, without Christ being my savior, my money means nothing. I may be rich in the world's eyes, but without Christ, I am spiritually bankrupt because that's the that's the the main issue is being spiritually bankrupt because um if i'm spiritually bankrupt i have no hope for a future because the bible tells us that when we all stand before god um, no one's boasting before god there will be no billionaire going hey can i write you a check god to get in nobody's writing a check to get into heaven and that's why without Christ, I have no hope for eternity. And my money, I can't put my hope in it. That's why Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. I love that part of that verse. You see, that's why the Bible is not against money and against things. God provides us everything for our enjoyment. Don't you love that? That God wants you to enjoy life? God, if people th- that's why people, God's just an ogre. No, he's not. He provides everything for our enjoyment. He just doesn't want you and I setting our hope on our money. He doesn't want our confidence in our money. He wants our hope and our confidence in everything on who? Him. Him alone. And then Paul goes on to write, he says, tell, he says, tell them that they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of what is truly life. You see, again, it's not about having money, it's what I do with it. Am I spending all my money on myself? I'm just getting a bigger house. I'm just getting bigger things. I'm just getting more toys. I'm just going on whatever. And again, it's not to say God's like, you can't take a nice vacation. Nope, you can't do that. You can't have a nice car. You can't have, it's not about that. Am I being stingy toward God? Opportunity comes for me to to honor the Lord with my wealth. And I'm like, "Mm, no, I got to spend it on me first. Can't give to the church. Can't give to a building program. Can't help anybody. Can't give. Nope, I can't do that. I'll give a tip now and then. But you know what? I'm not going to be a faithful giver because that's just too much money. You see, that's backwards. And Paul's trying to say, and he's like, look, God will give you everything for your enjoyment. Just put him in the proper place. Keep your money in the proper place. Keep your mind in the proper place. And my mind on the right proper place is my money is simply a tool that God has given me to use. And I've got to be faithful with it. And I've got to honor him with it. And as long as I honor him and I'm faithful with it, God will let you do whatever you want with it. Just make sure you don't leave him out of the equation. Because when you leave him out of the equation, we're in trouble. Because now we're putting our confidence back in our money. And God makes it very clear. And this is what James is trying to teach us. Understand as, and here's the thing, as Americans, we are all really wealthy compared to a lot of people in the world, okay? That's why I, you know, reading, when you read the church of Laodicea and it talks about when, when, when John writes that and he says, you know, that there are some rich people who say, you know what, I'm rich, I don't need anything, I'm good to go. And he's like, man, you just don't get it though, but you're poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. You see, so many Americans, we're like, you know what, I don't need God. I'm good in my money. And we have so many rich Americans putting our confidence in our money, and God's like, you don't really get it. You're poor, pitiful, naked, and blind. Because we don't understand the true riches of Christ. So the paradox, if you're poor in Christ, you're really rich. If you're rich, but without Christ, you're really poor. And then here's the third thing. Here's the third blessed paradox. Blessed are believers who are pursuing when they remember they are passing away. 
Blessed are the believers who are pursuing when they remember they are passing away. So he says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Let the rich in his humiliation because now he gives, the under, now he gives us the understanding of why. Why should... Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. Am I off? Yeah. Nope, I'm on. I got green light. Sound, am I? Somebody who's watching online. Something, something shut off. So hopefully I don't. I don't think people can hear me online either. So today was, um, oh, there we go. I'm back on. Well, don't shut me down if I'm on. Hey, today's just been a day of worship fails, everybody. I think today was God's way of humbling me saying, Jim, you're not exempt, man. Everything can go wrong if you just wait. So, so anyway, um, so now... James gives us the reason as to why we need to view our financial um, position properly. Because you're passing away. And here's the thing. Even though he's addressing rich people, because I think there's probably a little bit more arrogance with a rich person going, you know what, I'm all good. I've got all the money. I've got all the things. I don't need any help. And James is like hitting the rich person. He's like, yeah, you, you may think that now, but you're still passing away. How many of you know uh, poor people are passing away too? It doesn't matter whether you make $20,000, $200,000, or $2 billion. Um, guess what is going to happen? You're passing away. I know it's doom and gloom. But, how, but here's the thing. I thought about this. We know this truth. We all know we're going to pass away, but we don't live in light of it. We just live, man. We, just, we live like we aren't going to pass away, but we are. And the Bible tells us in the, in the book of Psalm in that, that, that God has already ordained how many days you're going to live. He knows the exact time. So if that is, you know, 22 years and 300 days, that's how long. Or if it's 102 years and 15 days, that's how long. You and I don't know how long. Only God does. So we need to live our life, as the Bible says, to order our days correctly. That we live each day understanding and say, this could be the day. So I want to make sure that I'm living for God. Now, look at the, how James, what, how else he says here. So he says, we're all passing away. But in verse 11, he says, for the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. How many of you have really nice gardens, like flower gardens in your, in your yards? How many of you have the green thumb, man? You just like, your yard looks awesome. You're, the, you're my envy, okay? There are people, man, they have the beautiful flowers, every kind of flower possible. But let me ask you, um, come springtime, they boop, they come up, they look beautiful. Summertime, they're looking beautiful. What happens around fall? 
and winter. Are you going out to your yard in the middle of January going, oh, look at how beautiful my flowers are? Or are you going, man, that just looks bad. I can't wait till spring. Because something happens to a flower. It, it, I mean, it's beautiful for a, a season of time. And then what happens? It dies. It turns brown and it's wilted and it just looks dead. Everything we have in this life is going to perish. Your beautiful home. See, here's the kicker. Ecclesiastes tells us that we amass things for other people to care for after our death. We were just um, in the car the other day, and I don't know if how many of you, okay, I'm just, there were, I like to listen to the band Rush, okay? Drummer for Rush was Neil Peart, one of the greatest drummers of all time. And Neil Peart passed away a couple years ago. And they were on the radio talking about how nine of his 10 cars, his antique cars, were auctioned off. And they were going through the list of them. And in my mind, I'm going, he had these 10 beautiful antique cars. And now people are just selling them, auctioning them off. And he hadn't. Can't do anything about it. You see, that's going to happen to all of us, okay? One day, your kids are going to argue over your stuff. I just went through that, okay? And I couldn't believe the animosity between... I was like, man, I just, I'm just checking out of this thing. I don't even want to be... But the other family members, I really thought somebody was going to die because they were so bent over, I want that... And I'm like, I was like, people are going to argue over your stuff. And it doesn't matter what you amass. It doesn't matter how big of a home you have, how many beautiful cars you have. It doesn't matter how much jewelry you have. It doesn't matter how big of a yard you have. It is going to be gone. And the thing is, you're not taking it with you. Nobody has the hearse on the, or the, the U-Haul trailer on the back of the hearse. It's not going. Why do you think so many people became wealthy when they found King Tut's tomb? Because all of that stuff was together. When King Tut died, he had the idea, hey, put all the stuff together because when I pass into the other life, I want my stuff. Well, he passed, but his stuff didn't. Why? Because you don't take it with you. It's going to perish just like a flower. All your stuff is beautiful right now. And it's wonderful to have. But I'm telling you, the flower comes, the flower goes. It blooms for a season, and then the petals fall off. That's our stuff. But then he goes on to say, he goes right after that, he goes, so also will the rich man fade away. And I, I, I read this, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. In the mist of his pursuits. You are going to fade away in the midst of your pursuits. Notice it didn't say you'll fade away, you'll die after your pursuits. It's not like you and I get to put in, hey God, um, when, I, when, I'm, when I, I get my education, when I have my family, when I get to retirement, when I have enough money in the bank, then you can take me home. No. In the middle of it. 
Somewhere down the line, you're pursuing. You're going after stuff, and guess what God's going to do? Give me back my breath. And your heart will beat the last time in the midst of our pursuits. Now, does that, again, is the Bible telling us that you and I can't pursue things? Does it mean that you can't go on a nice vacation? Does it mean that you don't pursue retirement? Does it mean that you can't pursue higher education? Does it mean that you can't pursue a better career or, or advance your business? Not at all. It's not saying that. What it's telling us is, in while we're pursuing, are we pursuing only our pursuits? Or do we have Christ in the middle of it? Okay? That's why in Matthew chapter 6, it says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the other things will be added on to you. But sometimes we flip that around. I'm going to add all the things, then I'll add God. You can't do that. While I am pursuing, I need to keep remembering, man, I'm going to pass away. One of these days, God's calling me home. And I want to make sure that I am pursuing correctly. Just as I have a right perspective about my money, I've got to have a right perspective about my pursuits. I can't be pursuing all the worldly stuff and leaving Christ out of the equation. I cannot do, as 1 John 1 says, to love the world and everything in it. Because if I'm loving the world and everything in it, I'm just pursuing it Christ is getting the back seat. And that's a bad equation. In the middle of my pursuits, I need to make sure Christ is in it. Why? Because we're passing away. We're all going to be at that point. But the question is, is what are you doing in the interim? Between the birth and the death, what are you doing in between? Is Christ in the middle of that thing? So we need to remember while we're pursuing we are going to pass away. And then the, here's the last thing. Blessed are believers who are enduring when they remember they are going to be rewarded. Blessed are believers who are enduring when they remember they are going to be rewarded. So in verse 12, James writes, he says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. That word steadfast means to persevere. It means to have spiritual strength under the trial, okay? What he's saying is, he's like, you're not one of those people that as soon as the trial hits, I'm out of here, man. If that's the way God is, I want nothing of it. If, 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 if that's the way God is, forget church. Forget all that stuff, man. I don't want, no way. No, he's like, blessed is the person who can remain under the trial and be steadfast, and remain strong in it, and trusting the Lord through this thing, that no matter how long it takes, how hot it gets, how hard it is, God, I trust you in this thing, to remain steadfast, and keep my eyes focused on him, and not quit, and not jump ship. He goes on, he says, so he says, bless the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, Remember earlier up in verse 2, it talks about God testing our faith, remaining steadfast in that. And he says, when you are done, when it's all done, when you pass away, you are going to be rewarded the crown of life. Now, the Im imagery there that James is kind of putting forth is you got to go back to ancient like Olympic days, ancient athletic um, contests. 
back then, you know, a lot of the athletic contests was like wrestling. And so the idea is that you would have these two wrestlers and, and they, they, would, they would struggle and they would fight. And, and, and the, who, whichever one was able to overcome the other, he was victorious. And that, that the victorious um, athlete, he didn't quit. He, he didn't stop. He, 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 kept, he was steadfast. And he remained in the fight. He remained there. But when he became, when he was victorious, he would stand and he would be crowned with a wreath on his head to say, I am the victor. I'm the steadfast one. I overcame. You see, Paul, James is saying that you and I, when we remain steadfast and we remain steadfast through the trials in this life, when we pass away, you are going to be crowned with the crown of life. Now, here's the thing. As I studied this, there's one view that says the crown of life is eternal life. That if you remain steadfast under your trials, you receive eternal life. I disagree with that because here's why. If, because if, that, if you're telling me I receive eternal life because I have endured trials, then what you're saying is my salvation is not based on faith alone. It's faith plus works. It's faith plus enduring. So if I have faith in Christ and I've endured trials, then I will receive eternal life. That's not, the Bible says, no, I've received eternal life because I have faith in Christ alone. It's faith in him, nothing else, okay? So here's the thing. Someone who just basically has a post-it note on their face, Christian, and goes through life with the post-it note Christian on their forehead. But as soon as the trial hits, they're done. Nope, I'm not going to church anymore. Forget that. I don't need that stuff. That's the way God is. Nope, I'm not. But the post-it note doesn't move. You see, that person who professes to be a believer in Christ, but can quit on Christ, truly doesn't know Christ. They don't have a saving faith that person, I believe, is not going to earn that eternal life. So for a believer, though, a genuine believer, who it's not about the post-it note, it's about the imprint on the heart. It's Christ lives in me. And, and through the trial, through the storm, through the suffering, man, I'm not saying I, 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 it's not easy. And I'm not saying there are times where my faith wavers, but man, I'm trusting God every single day through this thing. Then when I pass away, I don't believe I'm earning my salvation because I endured, but because I had faith. Then when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, it's a reward. You see, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul writes this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You see, as a believer in Christ, you won't stand before the great white throne judgment as in Revelation, because that's the judgment for eternal condemnation. The judgment seat of Christ, we are already in heaven, but now as a believer, you're going to be rewarded for what you've done as a believer. 
The things you've worked and served and the money you gave and, and everything you did for the kingdom of God, you're going to be rewarded and judged for that. And I believe it's at this point when we stand before Christ and he goes, I tested you. And you went through the trials and through the storms and you went through the fiery trials and you never quit. You were steadfast. You persevered. You trusted me. You never gave up. You never walked away. Well done, good and faithful servant. And you are rewarded the crown of life. I have no idea what that will look like. All I know is, Based on what scripture says, we can get a good idea of the fact that you and I are going to earn rewards. It's kind of like hotels.com. <laughs> Earning your reward points. All I know is heaven is going to be awesome. But you're going to be rewarded as a believer in Christ. I don't know what that means. I really don't know what that's going to look like. I, I, I can't give you the exact answer on that. But I do know you're going to stand before Christ. Not for your sin, but for what you did for him. How you served him. How you gave for him. How you trusted him how you relied on him, how you believed in him, how you didn't walk away, man, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the cancer, in the middle of the death, in the middle of whatever it is, you stayed strong. And you trusted in him. You believed in his goodness. You believed in his faithfulness. You believed that he is who he says he was. And all the way to the end, until he says, give me back my breath and you pass away, you trust him. I believe you're going to be rewarded for that. And that reward, as James is saying and referring to, is, I believe, that crown of life. So the question you and I have got to answer is, what rewards am I going to be receiving when I stand before Jesus? Are you just getting in and thinking, oh, that's good enough for me? Or will Jesus be like, man, you had it going on and I'm going to reward you for that? Only you and I can answer that question. Only you personally can decide, what am I doing for Christ on this side of heaven? And I hope you're trusting him. I hope you're believing in him. And so you get the crown of life when you finally get to the end. Amen? Let's all stand and have a word of prayer and get ready to close with our last song. Father, we pray to you this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, even though your word talks about there are things that are just such a paradox, we know your word is truth. And yet, Lord, there are things that the culture says and sometimes it, it just makes no sense. And, but Lord, we got to trust your word. And Lord, the reality is we got to trust your word through the times we go through suffering and trials. We got to have a right perspective on our money, whether we have little or a lot, it doesn't matter. Lord, help us to put you first in our pursuits, to know that we're passing away. Everything we have, Lord, is going to be gone one day. Lord, help us to, help us to keep pursuing with the goal in mind 
That goal is going to be knowing that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and help us to be ready for that day. To be putting you first and to just storing up treasures in heaven. And so God, I just pray that you would help us all just to examine where we're at. Be honest. Repent of any areas that we need to repent. And Lord, get get back on track with you. If we're losing faith right now, help us to get back to say, God, help me through the trial. So Father, we just thank you that you are so good and faithful to us. And we just praise you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.